0: Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show Podcast. On this episode, we talked to Doug Brown, CFL legend, Canadian Football Hall of Famer, and our Blue Bomber color analyst on our broadcast about the Argos hosting the Bombers on Saturday. Why it's kind of crummy to go to a game in Toronto. The atmosphere is lacking. And also, what is the game actually going to look like between the two clubs? A rematch of last week's game. And then we'll talk to Haley Salvian of The Athletic in Calgary. The Women's World Hockey Championships are finally here finally here in a bubble nonetheless they're playing Finland Friday we'll get a full preview coming up on the podcast Doug Brown will be part of the Blue Bomber broadcast and he joins us now Doug how's it uh, gonna be feeling to go on the road for once
1: <laughs> yeah it's uh the biggest apprehension is I'm gonna go on an airplane it's like you have to remember all your. Uh, it's just it's just bizarre. It's been so long to do anything, uh, you know, like that. Any kind of travel and to go to another province. It's it's just a little. It's going to be a little different, a little unsettling, a little unnerving, I suppose. But uh, it'll be good to uh, to go to Toronto and uh, hopefully see the the Bombers move to three and zero.
0: And it'll be their home opener. I mean, it's always. In your times visiting BMO Field, what is the atmosphere like? I've never been to an Argos game in Toronto. I know it's probably better at BMO than it wasn't the Rogers Center, but what is the atmosphere like at an Argos game?
1: Yeah, it's pretty deflating. Um, you know, BMO was supposed to be the magic elixir to fix all the woes of uh, of Toronto back in the back in the day when they were at the Sky Dome. Um, everyone thought the the magic. Uh, ingredient for the Toronto Argonauts and have some success was uh, to have some fan intimacy with the field, very much like uh, Montreal. So what did they wanted to do was, you know, Montreal has that stadium on the campus of McGill that's very much nestled into the hills, and the fans are right on top of the field. And they thought they could really create. They they needed a smaller, more intimate venue, is what they felt with with BMO going from that cavernous skydome situation or rogers place or whatever the heck it's called right now so um that was the idea you know smaller venue it looks like you know you can uh you have fewer fans there but it looks like it's packed and you can create demand that way that's exactly what the montreal alouettes did but it didn't matter um when when toronto went there uh we thought first time i went to bmo with bob i was like wow this is this is the start of the the upswing for the Toronto Argonauts and it just did not matter. So it was just empty, but a smaller venue. So at the Rogers center or, or sky dome or whatever it's called, it was empty, but in a bigger cavernous venue. And now it's just empty at a smaller venue. So they try and stack all their fans in like one little area. So maybe if like a Toronto Argonaut is running by the 30 yard line, it might sound loud for a minute as he passes them by. But other than that, it's uh. It's pretty deflating, depressing, I I would think, as uh, a CFL fan whenever you go there. And uh, they have to set up some pretty Houdini-like camera tricks to uh, not let the people watching on TV uh, realize just how unpopular they are
0: out there. We're not going to solve the CFL in Toronto equation in this conversation, but it sure doesn't help that they've been above 500 twice since 2007.
1: Yeah, yeah, it would be uh, another thing if they were a perennial winner, and people are like, your team is so good, and you don't even know. And you know, people could get on some sort of a bandwagon. But you're right, you know, it just compounds the the frustration and the, uh, the inactivity around the football team when they don't have uh, polished or consistent
0: product. And the two seasons that they finished above 500 were not the seasons they won the Grey Cup. They were nine and nine both seasons that they won the Grey Cup in 2012 and 2017. Let's talk about the current iteration as they go up against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. When you were a player, Doug, a lot has been made this week about the fact they're playing the same team back-to-back weeks. We always get that with the Riders in September. It's happening four times with the Bombers this year with opponents. What was that second week like when you're getting ready for the same team you just played?
1: Yeah, it really depends on whether you you won or you lost, right? So um, it's, uh, it's it's a great time when you've won the previous game because you're like, oh, everything we did worked for the most part. We were successful in executing our game plans we know we can beat this football team and uh yeah it's it's an easy and simple week of preparation you don't necessarily get too innovative or think out of the box because like i said if it's not broken why are you fixing anything but on the flip side of that when you lose and you have to play back to back you know your environment changes a lot has a lot of frustration a lot of hard film corrections when you're watching that with your coaches uh expectations and and accountability rear their ugly heads and uh a lot of pressure goes on the players to uh perform better and uh to make amends in the repeat match. So that's why it's always hard to win two in a row against a team back to back home and away um, because that team that lost uh, their environment is a lot more difficult in the following week than the team that was successful, right? They they have to do uh they have to make changes and uh the the team that won previously the week before not necessarily um you know preparing for those cuz they haven't seen them they're going to be doing some different things starting with starting a different quarterback on Saturday as well.
0: Right. Well, as soon as Nick Arbuckle came into that game last week, we knew he was going to be the guy coming into this week as well. He yeah. was he was okay. They along, had that right? they, they hit the first drive they get a touchdown, John White rips it off and then John White fumbles the next drive and the game kind of ends there, but uh, the the fact that Arbuckle is now in charge, how does that change the Argonauts in your view?
1: I just think, I mean, it was so noticeable when he came in the game. I mean, Bethel Thompson was just, couldn't get anything going. He was out of sync. He was just, it seemed like he was uh, like a, a head case out there in the sense that he didn't have the confidence. He didn't have any continuity. He wasn't on the same page as his receivers. He was off target. He was throwing early. He was throwing late. He was overthrowing people. They just didn't have any synchronicity whatsoever on offense. And you were just like, wow. When he came out and started the second half, we were blown away because we thought it was going to be our Arbuckle. Yeah, I was for sure. by that. yeah, but what a contrast when finally Dimwitty was like, okay, enough of this. Nothing is happening. Their offensive numbers were absolutely terrible through the first two and a half quarters that, that he was running the football team. So it was immediate. You could see the effect. Uh, On the players and the offense, once Arbuckle entered the game, certain calm came over them, and they just started executing. They looked much more polished. Uh, He looked much more poised behind the center, and uh, they had some uh, bad breaks with turnovers. But I think they're a much more effective offensive unit, and it should be a much more interesting game um, with him starting all four quarters on Saturday.
0: Well, the big play it was—I think the third quarter, and this was—I think it may have been Bethel Thompson's last pass of the game. When he airmailed a wide open, it was a touchdown. If he hits the receiver, it's a yeah. touchdown, a deep shot. And he missed him by, I think, seven yards probably. It wasn't really all that close. And he comes out, he finishes 10 of 20. Arbuckle was only 10 of 19. But looking at the, the, the Blue Bomber defense, a lot has been made this week, Doug. With the ru- rush defense, they allowed John White on 12 carries to get 111 yards. He should have he should have had more touches. That's pretty clear. But yeah. the, the yeah. Blue Bomber defense, how hungry do you think they are to try to correct that this week?
1: I don't know, man. It's You've given up 13 points in, in two weeks. It's pretty hard to be down on yourself. You know, It's pretty hard to go into the facility and have anybody tell you that what you're doing right now needs um, a serious correction or, or a change. You're feeling pretty good about yourself and rightfully so. Yeah, they weren't great against the run, but the whole thing is they didn't need to be. Now, Saturday could be a different scenario if uh, Toronto's able to hold on to the football, control the clock, and put up points early, then they might have to be better against the run. But in that game, like you say, first and foremost, you get the W, and then you worry about everything else after the fact. And it was uh, a little bit of a blemish on their on their record, but 13 points, I mean, that's the thing that jumps off the page the most. So it's pretty hard to get through to players uh, when you're being critical when they're only giving up six and a half points a game, unfortunately.
0: Well it's definitely, you know, when you're a defending champ and you're two and zero and you've given yeah. up thirteen points, you can't just be resting on your laurels, right? You gotta pick something to work on.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's the challenge with the coaches, right? This is a situation Doug or Dave Ritchie would, would absolutely hate is when uh, you know, in, in two thousand one when we had a good year with him and we won twelve games in a row, he was running out of ideas to, you know, uh manufacture in our heads that we were disrespected and Nobody believed in us. We need to have a chip on our shoulder. And we're like, coach, we're, you know, 14 and two right now. I'm not sure we won 12 games in a row. This is not, this is not really weighing with us your words. So that is always a challenge. Uh, uh, I can imagine even more with this team coming off a championship right now. They're undefeated right now. Their defense is playing amazing lights out right now. So until someone brings them back down to earth, they're going to keep doing what they're doing. But that is the challenge for the coaches is to, is to make sure these guys don't get uh, too high on their laurels and uh, are still put the work in so they can continue to be successful and continue on this run.
0: On the other side of the ball, 39 points for two games isn't a ton, For the Blue Bombers, who don't have to score a lot when you're giving up six and a half points per game. It's clear it's a very ball possession, run-the-clock-out kind of style. They were only up 10-7 in the third quarter when they got that turnover that immediately turned into points, and the game was kind of over then. But uh, what have you seen out of the offense through two games? And do you think, with Darvin Adams probably coming back this week and Andrew Harris next week, that's just going to give them such a big boost going forward here?
1: Yeah, you have to expect that. But it was it was very curious last week, and it uh, was a great situation for us to see because the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, you know, everything starts and ends with the running game, and that was taken away from them last week, right? So it was very curious to say, okay, what is this offense going to do now? And as you just noted by the scoreboard, they weren't able to do a lot, right? Once that running game was shut down, you know, play action kind of went out the window, Uh, they weren't controlling the clock they weren't putting drives together that is really the uh, the straw that stirs the drink for for the Winnipeg offense so it was very interesting to see how they were going to deal with that now they were able to overcome make some changes get their passing game going I I believe the numbers for Zach Claris through the air were, were very good but you could see it was a definite shift for them they got away from their identity in that respect so I'm sure they're going to want to go back and make, make the ground game a focal point for them, make sure they're multidimensional, make sure they give Zach Kolaris the benefit of having that kind of balanced attack. But, you know, Toronto has to be somewhat happy with uh, the way they approached that game and how they were able to take the run away from uh, Winnipeg. So it's going to be real interesting, the Battle of the Trenches on Saturday, see who can uh, assert and establish that dominance.
0: Before I let you go, since you're going to Toronto, is there a spot you like to go to when you visit Toronto, whether it's to to eat or do whatever?
1: Uh, you know, I just, uh, at work, I, I was told to go to Lee's, uh, a new restaurant, some Asian fusion restaurant, and I was actually told, like, to order this salad. So I've never done that. I like to do different. There's so many different things to do in Toronto, right? So every time I go there, I like to I like to experiment with something else. So I'm going to try this new restaurant, see how it goes and. uh, yeah, it should be – Toronto's always a fun place to go, except for the football part of it. But, you know, <laughs> uh, if the Bombers win, that'll make it more more uh, appetizing, I suppose.
0: There you go. Good finish, Doug Brown. Appreciate your time. Have fun on the call Saturday.
1: All right, my friend. Thanks for having me on.
0: Tomorrow, in Calgary, the Women's World Hockey Championship begins at long last. International Women's Hockey is back. Covering the event for The Athletic is Haley Salvian, who joins us now on the CJW Sports Show. Haley, how awesome is it that this event is finally here?
2: Oh, yeah, it's, it's pretty great. I mean, as, as excited as I selfishly am to be able to cover this event here in Calgary and be on site because um, I'm based here for the Flames, I'm um, as excited as fans are to, you know, get to watch this on TV um, I think the players probably uh take this crown here. You know, it's been eight hundred and fifty nine days as of tomorrow since the last um international tournament game, which was the twenty nineteen World Championship final between the US and Finland since you know, there was a major event on the women's hockey calendar. So it's exciting for me and, and fans, but it's it's definitely uh, something really special for these players to finally get back on the ice.
0: Now, they did have the, the Dream Gap Tour. A lot of the players from the U.S. and Canada mm-hmm. able to take part in that and some in the NWHL as well. Uh, but in terms of the highest level of hockey, it's, it's been quite a while since we they've been able to participate in such events.
2: Yeah, and, and yeah, like you said, um, you know, there was a PWHPA Dream Gap Tour. There was a really big one here in Calgary, actually, um, with, with all of the Canadian teams and, um, that was a a really successful event for their group. And, you know, the NWHL had a, you know, they had their season, they had season six. It was, uh, you know, they, they tried to have a bubble in Lake Placid that ultimately burst. And then they had a, you know, a weekend tournament in Boston to kind of crown their Isabel cup champion. That season, um, but yeah, in terms of women's hockey at the the highest level, it's it's been nearly non-existent for for over two years now. There was a, a rivalry series between the Canada and the US. There were some other, you know, international, not international, excuse me, like European um, things on the calendar. But like I said, in terms of you know a major tournament, the last time <laughs> these players were on the ice would have been. Uh, April fourteenth, twenty nineteen, um, and it's like it's just been such a long time that there's been you know a really meaningful tournament for these women to play in internationally, and it's been a really long time since women's hockey has had the platform that a world championship brings. So this is a pretty big uh, week for the women's game in terms of exposure and um, heading into centralization and then an Olympic year really quickly.
0: That's true. It's a really quick turnaround right after this. It was supposed to originally be – well, they didn't have one in 2020. It was supposed to be in Nova Scotia. The plug was pulled on that kind of at the last minute in the spring, and now they have it here with just a few months to go before the Olympics. Let's prognosticate, if we can, Team Canada coming off a, a tournament in which they didn't make the final in 2019. It was one of the most intriguing world championships ever simply because Canada and the U.S. didn't meet in the final how is Canada looking as they look to rebound from that disappointment two years ago?
2: Yeah, well, it's tough to really project things accurately because we haven't seen anybody play in so long. Um, you know, a lot of these tournaments are either, you know, they're, some of them are broadcast, but you don't really get to go in, you don't get to talk to people, you don't get to go and watch them practice, so... Um, you don't really get to get a great look at all of these teams heading into the tournament, but, you know, I did a lot of preliminary conversations with players with Team Canada and um, people on their staff, and, you know, the main theme that we're hearing about this group is that, you know, they have a lot of young faces, there's nine players on this roster that were not on the 2019 world championship roster so it's a it's a different group that they have um they've got some young faces um they have seven players on this team who have under 10 national team games under their belt so so they've got a ton of youth um they hope that they're going to be really fast they're going to be really skilled Um, they're going to be very physical i think the identity that canada um, has really tried to hit on here in their last couple of training camps is um, being difficult to play against and, and that's fast and, and physical and skilled. So, and but that's all kind of just on paper, right? So we won't really know until we see the team actually playing, you know, best on best when it matters. They, they looked Um, Once they settled in on Wednesday in their pre-tournament game, they they looked good. You know, we saw the speed. There was a couple of, you know, full north-south goals. Um, We saw the hands on on both sides. And I think Finland, they'd been knocking on the door for a while, and everyone saw them break through in 2019. I think a lot of people still believe that they should have won the gold medal that year, Um, you know, despite the controversial – Um, goal being overturned and uh, and then them losing in the shootout so it's great I I think you know having a team like Finland being firmly in the conversation with the US and Canada is great for the women's game and um, like I said right now everything's kind of just been on paper and training camp and and we're going to see what these teams really look like tomorrow and and it's going to be great.
0: Yeah, the question can be, can they carry that over? I remember when Sweden beat the U.S. in 2006 in the Olympics, and it was like, oh, my God, USA didn't make the final. And then it was USA and Canada every year at everything for the next 13 years. But looking looking at the U.S. now, obviously, they're always Canada's top competition. What do they look like as they head into this tournament again, just like the Canadians? It's been a while since top-level competition.
2: Yeah, well, I, again, it is the same thing with the the Americans is the same with Canada. Um, you know, we saw them briefly yesterday, and they really handedly took care of the Russian Olympic Committee, which is, of course, um, you know, the Russian team. Um, you know, they won 6 nothing. They they looked like they're going to be loading up their top line. Um, you know, they have Brianna Decker, Kendall Coyne Schofield, and Hillary Knight on, on line one, and then they've got... You know, a really young up and coming player in Abby Rock, who had a great PWHPA showcase, um, you know, on the US side, and she looked really great. And, and she's someone who could probably break out as, as soon as this tournament starts. She's 23 years old. Um, the US has quite a few really young players on their roster as well. Um, but like Canada, they have a ton of returning. Uh, Olympians, a lot of players who were on that 2018 gold medal winning team from Pyeongchang. So um, it's great. I I think they have a great rivalry. I think the U.S.-Canada rivalry is one of the greatest in international sport. And, um, you know, so the way that the schedule kind of works for Canada, they've got, you know, their first and their last game of the preliminary rounds being, you know, really you know, important kind of bookmarked games. So their first game is going to be against Finland, which is that rematch from the 2019 semifinals and then their final game of the preliminary round is against the USA and that will always be the kind of precursor to what um, you know, the game that we always expect them to play against each other um, in the semis or the finals, however that bracket may shake out. So um, again, I I think it's um, it's a great rivalry. I, I think that Obviously, recent history would suggest that the U.S. are the favorites in this tournament. They've won eight of the last nine world championships. They won the last Olympic gold medal, and they've won five straight world championships as well. So uh, I would say that they're the betting favorites. Um, But, you know, both the U.S. and Canada have some young faces. And some veterans returning, and, uh, and and same with Finland. So I think you've got a really great top tier in this tournament. Um, and of course, the U.S. and Canada are usually number one and two.
0: Talking with Haley Salvian of The Athletic, covering the World Women's Hockey Championship in Calgary, which starts tomorrow. Canada taking on the Finns in 2019. Haley, and you write about this in your piece on The Athletic, a long detailed uh, piece. People should check out for more on the. World Women's Championship, but Marie Philippe Poulin was not really a part of their team in 2019. She was hurt; she barely played. Having her back and at her peak, how much does that change Canada's chances here?
2: Yeah, well, it's huge. I think you know. I don't want to say that it was because Marie Philippe Poulin wasn't on the roster that they had their worst. Uh, oh, she was on the roster. Excuse me, but she only played. Uh, she played under five minutes. She played, you know, just a handful of shifts in, in that game against russia in 2019 and and i don't think that's why canada had their worst finish at any competition but i don't think it can be overstated how valuable mary philippe Poulain is for not only canada but for the women's game i firmly believe that she is the best player in the world i think she has a versatility in the way uh, that she can attack and the way that she can beat you um She's great on her edges. She's an incredible skater. She's got great hands. She has a great shot. Um, you know, she she'll dig in the corners if she has to, but I, I always kind of prefer seeing Poulin on the you know on, on the up on the top of the dot. So um, it's great. I, I think she just adds such a lethal option for Team Canada. I mean, it, it's the, it's such a it's such a no-brainer that having Poulin in the fold is going to be significant um she's the the owner of two gold medal winning goals she's canada's captain she leads by example and like i said um you know there's always going to be debate um you know hillary knight's a great player kendall coin Schofield, brianna decker like, there's some great players on the american side um but I, I do think that you know at the end of the day mary philippe poland is, is the best player in the world and that's always going to be a good thing for canada
0: Who's going to start net for Canada?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think for the first time in in decades, there is a question mark around who the starter is. I think you just go all the way back to, you know, when Manon Rom was playing, you know, she was Canada's starter. And then you had Kim St. Pierre and then you had Shannon Zabados. Um, and now the torch is kind of being passed to this next generation of, of goalies. And, and there's two really interesting options for the starter's crease in Anne-Renée DeBien and Emerence Mashmeyer. Um, Anne-Renée DeBien played uh, one game at the Pyeongchang Olympics. She was the the third goalie um, behind Shannon Zabados and uh, Genevieve Lacasse. She was the number two. And then so Anne-Renée was, was with the Olympic team in 2018. She took 2019 off, so she wasn't at that world championship. Um, but Emerence Mashmeyer was there, and, and Emerence actually has the um, most experience on the national team playing in, in more world championships. She has 21 games under her belt um, starting for Team Canada. So it'll be interesting. They they both have the pedigree. Um, Debian has several NCAA records, including the shutout record, over any division or any gender, so men's, women's, Division One, Division Two. Anne-Renee Debia has the most shutouts of any goaltender in collegiate hockey, which is really impressive. And and Emmerich Mashmeyer has a, a goalie of the tournament under her belt from uh, the 2017 uh, or 2016 Women's World Championships under her belt too. So you've got two really great options, and I think they're you know it's going to be a healthy competition. They're both going to push each other um and, and you know having two really good um young goalies uh, they're both 26 27 um uh, so young veteran goalies you know that's a that's a really good problem to have if you're hockey canada
0: Shout out as well to the the third goalie Kristen campbell from brandon manitoba uh final yes. question for you haley how is this tournament logistically going to work how does the bubble setup look in calgary
2: yeah. So, um, right, the players have all been staying downtown. There's two hotels downtown Calgary that are completely blocked off for um, players, staff, IHF staff. Um, so those are completely blocked off to the public for for the next two weeks here. So the players truly are in a bubble. Um, they're all playing. All the games are going to be at WinSport. Um, so the areas where the players go in is completely separate. Um, there was a you know a more separate application for on-site media which was um fairly selective they weren't they're not allowing a ton of people in the building for for media access um so the media entrance is completely separate everywhere that the players are going to be is completely separate um you know masks are are mandatory there's social distancing there's there's hand sanitizer you know everything that we've all kind of gotten used to over the last year and a half and um Right now, there there are you know the IHF announced that there was going to be no fans for the preliminary rounds, and they would continue to monitor the situation heading into um, you know the quarterfinals, the semis, and the gold medal matches, which start on the 28th and the gold medal games on the 31st. So you know potentially there's a chance that they allow um, some some fans, but as of right now, it's you know it's a it's a bubble for the players, more so in the way that the NHL kind of had things this year. You know, um, media was allowed in, but we were in a separate section. We were never crossing over. We never crossed over with staff who were near the players. So I wouldn't really call it a a bubble. I would just say it was more, right now it's more along the lines of what the NHL protocols were this season. And and there's been, um, you know, tons of testing. They're having the, the, the COVID tests every day. And um, the last time I checked, there had been zero positive cases from anybody who's been in the IHF, you know, quote unquote bubble. So, so far, all the protocols are, are, you know, running smoothly.
0: Well, Haley, I appreciate you uh, being generous with your time tonight. Thanks for coming on the show and have a blast covering the event.
2: Yeah, thank you. Looking forward to it.
0: Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more Every weeknight on CJOB from 6 30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places i'd Imagine. So farewell. Until we meet again. And
2: thanks for all the so sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you Share our intellect, which might explain the business.